Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to his riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. We are thankful each one who's here with us this morning. And for those who are alert enough to say good morning this morning. But we are looking this morning, continuing our series from Ephesians, uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 3. And we have looked at, uh, previously in the first two chapters, we saw how we were brought near to God by the blood of Christ in chapter 2. And then in chapter 1, we remember last uh, the first week we, we talked about redemption in Christ and the many blessings that are found in Christ. And today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, we look at, uh, as we titled here for this reason, uh, the, the work really of the Apostle Paul, that also we find really not just a reason, but really many reasons, why the Apostle Paul, as he says in Ephesians 3, why he bows his knee before God. So as we look at this morning, we want to ask this question, is the gospel message, as we look at in the first part of chapter 3, is the gospel message a mystery today? Well, no, it's not. It's revealed within the New Testament. Now, we understand that for some people today, it is a mystery for those maybe who never studied the Bible, who are not familiar with the Lord's Church, so maybe the gospel is a mystery. And the second question is, can God's love be measured? Because as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, we're really going to answer these two questions. First, the mystery, which is being referenced here in chapter 3, and then how the Apostle Paul describes the love of God. We begin in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 3, looking at Paul's work among the Gentiles. And we're not going to go necessarily verse by verse. We're going to do a little bit of jumping around here, but we are going to cover all the verses in chapter 3. But in verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the grace that was given to him. It begins in verses 1 through 3 by saying, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now we find in verse 1 he, he refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ. That is the reason he was a prisoner is because of his obedient and dedicated faith in the Son of God. He preached and he taught the Word of God, and for that reason, he landed him in prison. In fact, the majority of the letters that the Apostle Paul writes is from prison. He says in verse 2, he says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. He describes here in verse 2, how it is by the grace of God he is able to continue and able to do this work. We know the Apostle Paul, or uh, Saul rather at that time, met Christ on the road to Damascus. And he was blinded by the glory of Christ. And following later in that same chapter, he obeys the gospel. When the Bible tells us, he began to preach and teach basically immediately. And later his name is changed to who we know now as the Apostle Paul. 
And we find here in verse 2, he says, he says how indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the, of the grace of God which is given to me, given to, uh, given to me for you, which means it's by God's grace that he's able to be a minister unto the Gentiles, to be able to preach unto them. That was his focus, at least at this point in time, was to preach unto the Gentiles. He says in verse 3, he says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. He also mentions here in verse 4 that if they will read and, they have have, and having by read, uh, having read they have learned, rather, what the mystery or the knowledge of the mystery of Christ is. He says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge and mystery of Christ. And so he was a minister for the Gentiles. And we say minister, he was one who was just going to be ministering unto them. He's going to be preaching the gospel to them. And as a result of him preaching and teaching, he had made himself at home in prison thanks to that. And in verse 4 we find he encourages them that by reading they will understand. We also find as we continue reading the Apostle Paul mentions here in verse 5, it says, Which in other ages, talking about this mystery, was not made known to the sons of men, as it, ha as it now has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Now the men in the Old Testament, were they withheld knowledge about how to become a child of God? No, they were not. But the mystery, the New Testament gospel, the gospel of Christ as we know it, did not come into place into the New Testament. It was a mystery. It was not made known in the, in the, in the Old Testament time period as we know it. He says, which in other ages not, was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Being able to come to God in obedience has never been withheld from anyone. In the Old Testament, they were to come to God by what? Their faithful trust in Him, obeying His commands. As we know, that we find out throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, though, it takes the shape in the form of the gospel of Christ, which we know as the New Testament gospel, the new law which we are under today. And so for that reason, these individuals we find in verse 5, it was not made known to them, it had not been revealed to them by the Spirit, uh, but it was as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, now being revealed, that is, in the time of the apostles there, as we know in Acts chapter 2. We also know that the Great Commission, they were commanded to go and to preach unto all the world, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Acts 1, verse 8. They were told to go to all the world and preach the gospel. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, 15, and 16, right? We know in Matthew that Christ tells them to go to all the world and preach the gospel. Right? The same idea. And we find that same idea in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching and teaching the word of God. The inspired men of God here, the apostles, were the ones preaching this revealed message, as we find in verse 5. And we also find that, as we look at verses 6 through 8, that Paul was not preaching the gospel as an apostle... He was preaching the gospel there as an apostle who had the Holy Spirit, even though, as he says, he felt as the least of all the saints. Look at verse 6 and following. He says that the Gentiles should be heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ of the gospel, and so that they can obey the gospel and become a part of the family of God. Right? He says to be heirs of the same body, the partakers of his promise in Christ, through what? through the gospel, which Paul was preaching, he says, of which, I, which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, given to me by the effective working of his power, it means by God's grace he's able to do this. He says in verse 8, to me who, who am less than the least of all the saints. Paul is very aware of all the things he has done in the past. 
And for that reason, I think, uh, at least in part for that reason, he talks about himself in a very humble way. And you find here in verse 8, he says, he's the least of all the saints. This is the same man. He said he was the chief of all sinners, right? Because of all the things he had done. Did he believe that he had been forgiven by God? Yes. But he also remembers those things which he has done. And he humbles himself by saying he's the least of all the saints. He's the chiefest of all the sinners. But yet he was saved just like everyone else by obedient, by obedient faith in Christ. He says there in verse 8, this grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's going to tell them of all those riches, the blessings of being in the body of Christ. By their obedience to the gospel, they could enjoy those rich blessings, those tremendous riches. Which he says there's so many, he uses the idea they are unsearchable. You ever go out to your garage? Maybe I know I'll do this sometime in mind. And you go look for something, you realize it's unsearchable. You're never going to find whatever it is you're looking for. Or you go into a storage unit, maybe one you've forgotten about. You open it up, you fling up that door, and you think, this thing is unsearchable. I'm going to pull everything out to find it. The riches of Christ are so many. They're, they're so deep. There's too many to be named. It is unsearchable. That is, it's unable to be comprehended, the riches of Christ. We also find, as you look at verses 9 and following, the mystery that's being revealed, again being mentioned here in verses 9 through 11. He says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Who is it made known by? The church. What does that mean? Who preaches the gospel? We make sure we send out the gospel message. The church. We, as individuals, and as the church as a whole, send out that gospel message. To make it known to all the world. We look at verse 11. He says, According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, who bought the body of Christ, the members of the body of Christ, Christ himself did. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts, he bought the church which he purchased with his own blood, which is us today, the faith of God sitting in the pews here today. Those are the, those are the individuals who make up the Lord's church, and it was accomplished by God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he came to the earth, born of a virgin, fulfilling all those prophecies, preaching and teaching all those things God had given him to preach and to teach, he fulfilled all those things. He completed God's will. He died on the cross for mankind so we can have our sins forgiven. We are baptized into the body of Christ and our sins are washed away, Acts 2.38, Galatians 3.26 and 27. We're added to the body of Christ, which the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, which the Lord purchased with His own blood. And it is that body, the church, that sends out that gospel message. The mystery was accomplished in Christ. The church was to carry on the will of God. We find also in verse 6 of Ephesians 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. We want people to have heaven as their home. We want people to have a part in the Lord's body, the church. We teach the gospel. We teach the gospel because that is what saves mankind. We look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 3. It says, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished, in Christ Jesus our Lord. All these things are done in accordance to God's will. 
The Lord sends out the gospel message to all the worlds we find in Ephesians 3 and verse 10. It says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God that be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places to every person. The gospel message goes out. We also find as we come to the end of this section in verses 12 and 13 that they were to have boldness. And they were to have confidence as they moved forward in the work of God. Looking at verses 12 and 13, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him, that as we are able to move forward in God, therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. He tells in verse 13, Don't lose heart because of my hardships, which I am gladly partaking of, he says, on your behalf, so that he can do what? Be a minister unto them. He says, don't lose heart because of that, but do what? Verse 12, have boldness and keep moving forward in God. Access with confidence through faith in Him. The idea there literally is moving forward in God, moving forward with God, step in step with Him. As we continue reading in Ephesians chapter 3, we find the reason why the Apostle Paul bows before God, beginning in verse 14 and following. Here the Bible tells us here, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. He, tells, he says, what, for this reason I bow my knees? For what reason? Because all the riches and glories and all the best benefits in the world are in Christ, which includes the gospel message which he was an ambassador of, to the Gentiles, right? He was preaching that message to them. He was literally their, their minister. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He bows his knees, he says to God, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. How are we strengthened with might of the Spirit and the inner man? When we open up God's Word and we read and we study and we see what God wants from us and we find those encouraging things that we're going to read here in just a few moments, we are encouraged deeply, aren't we? When we say the inner man, we mean that, that our encouragement isn't just on the surface. That instills within us not just a little smile as we go about our day, but it affects us and it encourages us to keep moving forward. Like the Apostle Paul said a moment ago there in verses 12 and 13, he told his individuals not to lose heart, but to what? Keep their faith and their confidence in God, who, as we find here in verse 14 and following, was going to strengthen them in their spirit, or through the spirit, he says, in the inner man. And that spirit, we know, encourages us through the written word today. That's how the Spirit operates for us today, through the written word, not in a miraculous sense. He doesn't come and literally throw wisdom upon us or thrust wisdom upon us. But we read God's word, we see what God wants from us, and we apply it to our lives. He desires that Christ dwells in our hearts, as we find in verse 17. This means that Christ's will, will is what they allow to guide them. If Christ's heart of the Spirit, or His will rather, dwells in our hearts, he says here, through faith, and we are rooted and grounded in love, that means we allow God's Word to be our guide. You hear people talk about the Bible as our road map or it's our blueprint. That's not inaccurate. But in order for that to be the case, we actually have to do that, right? It has to be more than just words. And we saw a moment ago, being strengthened in the inner man means our faith in God is more than just surface deep. 
that we leave here today and we continue trying to grow in the faith and knowledge of God. He says in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. That you, that is the Christian, being rooted and grounded in love. In what love? The love of God. We are rooted and we are grounded in love. Especially here in Oklahoma. I know, I know it's not the only place. If you put something in the ground and it's not in there deep and strong, and the wind starts to blow, what's going to happen? There are so many portable basketball goal systems in our neighborhood that are tipped over. I don't know how many there are. There's so many to count. There are several on every street because they're not put on there securely. They're not set up properly. So the wind blows and over they go. The Christian, if we are not rooted in the love of God, our obedient faith in Him, when the wind blows, over we go. And we will walk away from God every time the wind comes upon us. That is, the hardships of being a faithful Christian, when those winds start to blow, we're going to fail if we're not rooted in God. Looking at verses 18 and 19, he says, May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. Talking about what? The love of God. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, or some translations say understanding, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He, he describes the love of God, how deep it is, and how truly God loves and cares for us. He says it's beyond measurement, right? You ever try to measure something? I don't have a, a measuring stick I have is pretty big, but if you have a small one, a little cheap one sometimes, they only go so far, right? You go to pull that thing out and you can't go any further. You have one, maybe one of the literal, actual literal tapes, right? It's not in a little container. You pull all the way out, it only goes so far. He says that's like trying to measure God's love. There's not one big enough to measure it. I think about John 3 and verse 16, where the Bible says, For God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son to whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a deep love. You don't make sacrifices for that, like that for those people who you just have a kind affection for. You make deep, lasting sacrifices like that for those who you care about very deeply. The Bible tells us He so loved the world. Going back to verse 18 and 19, it says, May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is He with, length, and depth, and height. To know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That we allow God to fill up our lives. How do we do that? We make sure that God is the one who will be allowed to guide us through His Word each and every day. Then we make a decision. We make sure that it is one that's going to be pleasing in the sight of God. We decide to do something. We decide first if God's going to be pleased with that. Or it's going to be something that's going to go against His commands. The Apostle Paul also was referring to God, I mean, referring to His power and going now beyond just His love. He says here, Him who can do more than anyone, here in, here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Now to Him He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now think about how he describes that. You read that and think, well, that's an interesting way to phrase that. Now to him is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. You think one word would be enough, but he wants us to understand how much God is capable of. 
exceedingly abundantly, notice, above all that we ask or think. It means God can do more than we can possibly comprehend. He says, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the, in the, in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And so we find here that God can do more than we can possibly imagine. This includes only His power in miraculous sense. As we know, during that age, during the age of Paul, God did work miracles. But also how His ways to bless mankind are, are beyond number. And for all these reasons, we give God the glory for all things. Or we should give God the glory for all things. We think about what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us here in Ephesians chapter 3. The first thing I think about is how the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. There was a saving plan in place in the Old Testament, obedience to God. In the New Testament it is what? putting our belief in the Son of God. Those who don't believe in the Son of God, the Bible tells us, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't believe in God, you're going to be condemned, right? The gospel is for all. We sing this song sometimes, about, how, and the message is true, the gospel is for all, because it is the only hope for mankind. The gospel is the only thing that saves. If we get up and we start talking about and teaching opinions and traditions that have been passed down over the years, those things may actually be encouraging, but friends, if it's not the truth, is it really going to help us at all? We all probably have heard stories and maybe myths. When I was growing up as a child, my brothers had some things they tried to tell me that were true, and they were just things they just dreamed up. Stories to try to scare you. You don't go over here because of this or because of this. In religious world, it's the same way. People have made things up. They don't realize it's false sometimes and try to get us to believe it because it makes us feel good. The best way to have confidence and to sleep well at night is to know that our faith is based upon the Word of God. And when we open up our Bibles and we see what God requires from us, we can say, yes, that is what I do. That is what I follow. And when I fall short, I repent to God. That is how we make sure we are right in the sight of God. The gospel message is available to all mankind to save mankind from their sins. This is why the message must go out. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 9. He says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. To who? Not to Paul, but to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what He has done, whether good or bad. He says in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because heaven is where we want to be. It says, We are all well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11. The second thing I think about when I look at Ephesians 3 is God's love for mankind is a tremendous blessing. There's no doubt different words we use to describe God's love and how much of a blessing it is to us, but tremendous, I think, is a pretty good one. Because without God's love, we would have a very difficult time, to put it mildly. In Ephesians chapter 3, looking at verses 18 and 19, the Bible says, It may be, may be able to comprehend with all the saints was the width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. How much does God love us? 
Look what He did for us through Christ. He wanted His Son to die for us, and He did on that cross. He had Christ come down and preach and teach. The Bible tells us that Christ's earthly ministry was about three years, from 30 to 33. Preaching and teaching the gospel, being ridiculed and mocked and accused of blasphemy and many other things the whole entire time. Then he went to the cross and died for the sins of all mankind, including those same people who did all those things. And he died for us as well. The apostles says God's love surpasses all understanding. So this to me begs the question, how about our love for God? We see, or we should very clearly, how much God loves us, but does God see how much we love Him? If the message is for all, if the message is for all, part of that gospel message is how much God loves man. As Paul has revealed here, God loves man very deeply and very truly. So how does such a message go out? It goes out by you and me. We tell others about Christ, what He has done for us, and what He can do for them as well. He can make them, as the Bible tells us, white as snow. Though their sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow, right? When they are washed in the blood of the Lamb, the Bible tells us that happens at baptism. The Bible also tells us repeatedly that we must hear the Word of God. We cannot obey that which we, that which we have not heard. So we must hear the Word of God. We then must believe, because without belief, friends, we're not going to obey anything. We believe, not just on the surface, but deeply, that Christ is the Son of God, and that He is the only hope for mankind. And based on that belief, we repent of our sins, confess that Christ is the Son of God. We find that in Acts chapter 2. They did those things. When they came to Peter in verse 37 of Acts 2 and asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And then we find in Galatians 3 verse 27, the Bible tells us that we were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And how do we stay in that position? Revelation 2 verse 10 tells us, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. We obey and we keep on obeying. This morning, as you think about these things, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. Let's get we stand and sing the song that's been selected. There's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming.